and in the Atlantic, teams were needed on the beaches of France to blow open the gateway to Europe for D-Day. The Allies would have to land somewhere along the coast of France. They knew that Hitler had built a massive Atlantic wall to prevent the invasion and that they would have to find a way to breach it. But on the eve of its entry into World War II, the U.S. military had no one with expertise in this kind of complex demolition work. The U.S. Navy would recruit a 31-year-old expatriate, Draper Kaufman. He would help create one of the forefather teams of today's Navy SEALs. When the nearsighted Kaufman graduated from the Naval Academy, he failed to get a commission in the U.S. Navy. But by the late 1930s, France and England were at war with Germany, years before America entered the fray. So he went overseas to serve, becoming an ambulance driver. After a brief stint as a German prisoner of war, he went to London to join the fight there. Kaufman's experience with ordnance got him a transfer from the British Navy to the American one. His orders to start the U.S. Navy's bomb disposal unit came just in the nick of time. Shortly after the Japanese attack on Hawaii, Kaufman was ordered to dismantle an unexploded 500-pound bomb in Pearl Harbor. For his valor, he was awarded the Navy Cross. He returned to Washington, D.C. to run the Navy's bomb disposal school. Then, in 1943, while on his honeymoon, Lieutenant Commander Kaufman received orders to report back to D.C. After four days of honeymoon, we were at the Hotel New Yorker, and I got a telegram telling me to report immediately, and I did what I guess anybody else would have done. I gave the young bellboy five bucks and said, son, you can't find me. Come back tomorrow. When he arrived in Washington, Draper Kaufman was given his new assignment, clear Hitler's beaches. Have you ever seen intelligence pictures of the obstacles the Germans are building on their beaches in France? I said, no, sir. He said, well, they're putting obstacles out in six feet of water that would stop the landing craft there and the soldiers would have to get out in six feet of water. Do you know how much an infantryman's pack weighs? And I said, no, sir. He said, well, neither do I, but they'll all drown. He said, now, I want you to put a stop to that. Kaufman's new mission took him from running a school on disposing unexploded bombs to exploding ones. He was ordered to create the Naval Combat Demolition Units, or NCDU. Net, giving you the matter of facts. Welcome to the Global Recon Podcast. I'm your host, John Hendricks. As most of you know, I'm sure in the, the past 24 hours has been pretty hectic globally. Um, to start with, uh, the Russian ambassador to Turkey was assassinated in Turkey uh, by a Turkish police officer. Uh, the ambassador's name is Andrei Karlov, and he was shot in the back at an art gallery by a Turkish police officer uh, while he was 
giving a speech to the Turkish media. The entire thing was captured on camera. It's pretty shocking. And um, the guy was saying something to the effect of after he shot the ambassador and the ambassador was on the ground, he was yelling with his pistol in his hand and he was uh, making some political statements in relations to Syria and specifically Aleppo. Uh, the situation going on there, and uh, it was, you know, pretty crazy. And then shortly afterwards in Berlin, and uh, someone drove a, a truck into a crowd of people at a uh, Christmas market, uh, killing over 10 people, wounding over 50, I believe. So, you know, a lot has been going on. Obviously, these things just happened, so all the details aren't available as uh, investigations are underway. I know yesterday on Facebook, after the ambassador was assassinated, a lot of people were uh, trying to make comparisons to the beginning of the First World War. Um, But, you know, immediately my first reaction wasn't that Russia and Turkey were going to go to war. Uh, I feel like uh, Russia, not that they couldn't uh, win a war against Turkey, but that they... It's not in their, um, I guess, national goals. Like they don't, because uh, if they go to war in Turkey and they destabilize Turkey, that entire region will just go up in smoke. I mean, there's already a lot going on with uh, ISIS in Iraq and, you know, the the war in Syria. So a war in Turkey would really throw the entire place into chaos. And that is something that I believe the Russians do not want. I believe they want to have a small footprint in the region. And uh, as reports are coming out, it's looking like they're calling this a terrorist attack and Turkey and the Russians are cooperating to try and figure out uh, what happened. So uh, in terms of that, you know, I don't think things are going to happen as, you know, people were saying kind of, you know, a a larger war is going to break out. No, I, I definitely don't think so. So uh, with that being said, for today's podcast, um, I had a interview with an active duty Navy EOD technician. Uh, his name is Damien. We'll, we'll get into that in a second. Uh, Damien's had an interesting career uh, with a few rotations, and uh, Damien spoke about, you know, what what led him into the military, some of it, some of his experiences throughout it. And then he gave us a uh, combat story, one of his deployment stories. But, you know, what I wanted to note and what was interesting uh, about the conversation with Damien is there was a point where we were talking about some of his fallen brothers. And a point that he wanted to make very clear was that he isn't doing this for himself. He's doing it uh, to to honor and recognize his brothers. And I, I think that's very important. Uh, for the audience to take away. So, you know, before we get into that, I just want to announce that starting in the new year, we're going to start releasing articles on a a regular basis. Uh, We're putting together a pretty solid team of writers uh, from various backgrounds and and various experiences. Uh, So, from now till perhaps mid-January or beginning of February, we'll release some articles just to kind of give you guys a taste of what's uh, what to expect. 
Um, but it, it wouldn't get into full throttle until about February. So, uh, you know, be on the lookout for that. Uh, we may revamp the website and uh, get some other things going, some interesting projects uh, rolling. So with that being said now, I'll play the conversation that I had with Damien, the Navy EOD technician. Hey, what's going on, guys? Uh, on with me for this week's podcast is Damien, uh, and Damien is a Navy EOD technician. Uh, Damien, how's it going, brother? Good. What's going on, man? Thanks for having me. No, not much, man. Thanks for coming on. So, uh, on the podcast, you know, previously, maybe a couple of months back, I had some an Army EOD tech, um, and we we spoke about you know some of his time in Afghanistan and stuff like that, and you know, obviously, the Navy EOD component is very active in uh, you know fighting today's wars and stuff like that, and it's a very important mm-hmm. uh, role that you guys play. Because of the you know IED threat that's faced in Afghanistan, Iraq, and you know anywhere where we are uh, combating terrorism, so you know we'll we'll talk about some of that. Uh, but before we get into any of that, can we talk about what motivated you to join the Navy? Yeah, sure. Uh, so I had dropped out of college for the third time, and um, my last semester, and I had moved to New York City in 1999. And, uh, I was living in Brooklyn when the attacks happened, uh, on September 11th. So, uh, being in the city, you know, watching that happen, being, uh, there for the aftermath of that, um, I was 27 when the attacks happened and I thought I was, I was like, well, I'm still young enough. Like my grandfather had served in World War II and he was a POW in World War II. And then my uncles had been in Vietnam and. Um, I had never really, I mean, I thought about the military, but, uh, you know, that was what really spurned me. And I said, well, I need to do something. It seems silly to not help or do something. So then I started thinking about that process and I really wanted to join the army. I really wanted to join the army. And, uh, my wife at the time, <laughs> she said, uh, she wanted to live on the water. So I said, okay, I guess I'll join the Navy. Then. <laughs> so that was it. And then I. I joined in 2003. Okay, so when you joined up, mm-hmm. uh, you didn't go straight into the uh, EOD realm, right? No, I did. I, I Well, no, I went to – no, I, I, I didn't do that. And then when I was in A school for to be a, a machinist mate, I, I was like, well, maybe I'll do it. And then I ended up going to dive school and I ended up dropping – I actually wanted to get out of the military, the Navy completely. And I, and I dropped out and I was just going to finish my time as a mechanic and then just get out and switch over to the army. And then, um, I did two years on a ship. And during that time I had had friends that had been over there and, you know, the EOD, the job changed a lot while we were in Iraq, I think. I mean, I can't speak for the people before that, but it seemed that, uh, the job as a Navy EOD tech had kind of, or as all EOD techs is the EOD tech job in general changed a lot with the IED threat. And then I said, you know, maybe this will be good. And then I decided to, to, to go back and then I finished and I went back and then in 08, I graduated UD school. So when you say change, do you mean in terms of like the uh, kind of the importance of the role of the EOD technician or? Well, I think it just changed. I think the mission, the, the mentality maybe 
uh, I don't know because I can't speak about what it was before. It just it it seemed like oh this is it it just seemed different. Like oh these IEDs are um, this is a big deal and I don't see it going away and um, this could be important. This could be it, it interested me, so um, I decided to stay and give it and give it a shot. Yeah, and it's it's um. You know, I know before, uh, you know, before Iraq, Afghanistan, there were, you know, obviously we had that that capacity to deal with right. such threats, but the threat level of these improvised explosive devices has reached like unprecedented levels, and um, right. I, I believe it's the number one killer of uh, American servicemen uh, in Afghanistan and Iraq, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, they suck. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's um, it's there's no way they're going away. It's way too successful. It's way too easy, you know. So right, and uh-huh. it's it's like they, you know, it's it's easy to to uh, put these devices together, mm-hmm. and even you know, and and one thing that's kind of interesting that I think a lot of people in the Western world tend to get wrong a lot is. You know, when you're talking about, let's say, Iraq, for example, or or Afghanistan as well, not everyone that's fighting against the U.S. or or taking part in the fight is in it for the ideological reasons that they opposed, you know, the West or that kind of thing. But in a lot of cases, it's, you know, the Taliban or or whoever it is that, that guys might be fighting in a specific area. They say, hey, look, we'll pay you X amount of dollars if you go and plant this, uh, this bomb on the side of the road, and when you know a U.S. truck drives over it, you you know press the button and uh, explode this this munition, and it, it really gets to the point where in a lot of cases it's like a financial thing. You know, it's it's economic, and it, it makes sense for the guy who's getting involved in it to to do it because he's getting paid and he has really no other way to do it. Or in this situation where. It's like you either work for us or we're gonna kill you, kind of thing, you know. And a lot of people don't, uh, who, who don't pay attention to these things, wouldn't know that, you know. And it's kind of unfortunate for everybody involved. Yeah, and there's no, there's very little threat to to someone in placing an ID, unless unless you're caught placing the ID. It doesn't. It's not like you're engaging us in a firefight or not. We're not getting, you know, it's not like getting in a tick. You know, you can leave the scene and 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 it's done. You know. If, if we step on it and, or we don't, it's still there and it doesn't really cause the enemy any risk. Or if it's a, you know, RCID or, you know, their command wire or whatever, however they're initiated, you know, it's, it's, it's a much smaller threat to them than it is engaging us in a firefight. Right. Right. So, yeah. okay. So you, um, you, you, you say you graduated EOD school in, in what? Oh, eight. Yeah. And is that like a long process uh, going through the whole selection? And, uh, and yeah, what was it? Yeah, I think I started in January of '07. School uh, like dive prep up in Great Lakes, and then you go to dive school in in Panama City, and then uh, EOD school, and then jump school. We went to jump school for Bang. It's even different now. They have a they have. Uh, um, like expeditionary, I think comp or something in, in Mississippi after that now. Uh, but we did all of our like post training in San Diego, like our, our helo training, you know, repelling and fast roping weapons, comms, all that stuff was, was in, is in San Diego. So, uh, yeah, I think it took about, 
I had a little setback. I had I got like MRSA in under in the last division, and I had, I had to wait. But I think all the way through, it's about twelve months if you if you make it all the way through. Oh, so that, that's a decent amount of time. Um, yeah. So the EODs is interesting, especially Navy EOD. It's not. Um, I don't think it's you guys fall under a special operations command necessarily. No, not at all. Okay, so even though you don't, you guys are highly trained and have a you know very unique specialty, mm-hmm. and all of your rotations are attached to a special operations unit. If I'm not mistaken, no, no. Uh, we have different mission sets, uh, so we can be attached to special operations units, but we can be like I did a deployment where I was uh, initially attached to a, like an infantry unit. You know, you can be. Att- I was attached to an army infantry unit. Um, you know, in Iraq, they did route clearance. They did response. Uh, we did that in Afghanistan, just, you know, response teams that you get um, IED calls and you just go out and you take care of those IEDs. Those aren't attached to special operations units. Uh, but, yeah, we do get attached to Army uh, Special Forces and, and SEAL teams as well. Yeah, so it's kind of interesting, you know, because it's a specialized, you know, it's a specialty. It's uh mm-hmm. But it isn't considered special ops, but you guys can work right. with. Uh, so it's pretty interesting. Um, yeah, it's fun. It's it's a it's, it's it's a good variety. You get a good variety in that one. And when you go through the dive portion, mm-hmm. you you guys are also working with, you know, using your skill sets and your and your mission set to render explosives underwater uh, useless as well. Is, is that part of it? That is part of it. <laughs> In theory, yeah, that would be that's it's possible. Um, yeah, it's it's very uh, sketchy underwater, but yeah, we are we're trained to do that too. Yeah. Right. Cool. Yeah. So, so now you, you have a few rotations. They were all into Afghanistan. So my first rotation, I was on an underwater kind of a, a mine countermeasure team, and that was to Bahrain, and we just did kind of like training exercises and out of Bahrain and other countries. And then the next three deployments were all in Afghanistan. Okay. And um, so now in Afghanistan is interesting for several reasons, but uh, one of them is that, if I'm not mistaken, I believe Afghanistan is the most uh, mined country on the planet. And um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so obviously yeah. that's a, a place where, you know, EODs... Uh, skills are, are needed um and what's what's kind of interesting about afghanistan is that not only are there a ton of mines and ieds from you know the taliban and um you know haqqani network and and all these kind of different groups that are fighting but also from the time that the russians were in afghanistan right and uh there's a, there, yeah there's a lot of line a lot of landmines um yeah Right. And if I'm not, I think when the Russians left, you know, they, they left something like, you know, somewhere in the millions of uh, <laughs> mines, you know, like in, in the country. Yes. Yes. Well, there's a lot of them. And very similar to Southeast Asia. You know, I mean, that Southeast Asia also is littered with with landmines from the wars there, too. Right. Like like Laos and Cambodia. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. All those. Yeah. Yeah. I was watching a. um uh, like a, a short clip of a, a documentary and it was mm-hmm. talking about this organization. I, I think they were Danish and 
they basically go into different countries and and uh, help with the demining process. Yeah, humanitarian demining. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, it's it's crazy because uh, a lot of the times, and even like in in I think it was uh, Laos or Cambodia. I'm not sure which one, but you know the U.S. was dropping a lot of bombs on these areas, and in some cases, these bombs wouldn't explode right away. Right, and you know, villagers or, you know, whatever, the local people there, like, going about their daily business and someone steps on a landmine and they, you know, they blow their leg off. And right. it's really unfortunate. So do you guys also, like, for the EOD techs, mm-hmm. do you guys have, like, different specialties within the teams or is it just kind of everyone has the uh, similar, similar uh, skill training? No, yeah. So we, yeah, it's not like, kind of how ODAs are, are, are broken up or, or stuff like that, how they have different specialties, even though they cross train to from, from the guys that I worked with. But no, we generally all train to the same uh, level. We have different levels of like EOD tech. We have a basic tech, you know, senior EOD tech then master EOD tech. But as far as that, we're all trained like to do the same thing. Cause you will, you'll have an EOD platoon, right? Say you have 10 like, and I'll use it like, like for instance, with an NSW platoon and, and two, each two EOD tech, like a two-man team, they will go with uh, each separate SEAL platoon. So you, two EOD techs will support one SEAL platoon within the, you know, the troop and all that. So a lot of times you're working in two-man teams or three-man teams or you know maybe four-man teams, but uh, you will end up splitting up out of that platoon. Yeah. So in so in the in the way it's set up, like an EOD. Um, like you would never deploy with a team of EOD techs, right? You're always you kind of get shotgunned out to where you're needed. Uh, well, I mean, you'll you'll yeah, we, we'll, you'll deploy together, and then you'll get you may get sent out. You know, you either may get attached to like a platoon or an ODA, or, or um, you may go somewhere, kind of for lack of a better term, like base out of one spot and kind of get farmed out as needed. It just depends on what your uh, what you're what you're deploying for and who you're supporting. Right, right. Yeah. So I know, um, I think it was the, what's the name of the movie? The Hurt Locker? Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> after the Hurt Locker came out, that kind of like uh, brought some attention to the, the, the role. Mm-hmm. Um, now, how, mm-hmm. how was that movie received? Like, did, did guys think it was a good movie? or? Oh, man. I mean, you know, military people, man. Like, everyone watches movies and they're like, that's so fake. Yeah. Or that would never happen or, you know, I mean, I just watched it as a movie and it was, I mean, it's a movie. Uh, I don't know who it's based on, but uh, I mean, I've never really done anything uh, like that, like the bomb suit. Um, I don't you know, know what it's like to kind of work in that. But, uh, you know, I, I, so I never did Iraq and that was based more on like on the, the Iraq experience, which I, I never did. So I couldn't speak intelligently to it. Right. I know you can't lift up mortars with, you know, connected by deck cord with one hand <laughs> or whatever they were. I forget what they were. They're one five fives or whatever. But, uh, I mean, it was a movie. It was a good movie. Right. You know? As a movie, it was entertaining. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And I think the homecoming stuff at the end was, was well done. You know? So yeah, it was, it was a well done movie. For sure. Right. So, you know, recently, uh, in Syria, uh, there was an EOD mm-hmm. tech who was killed by the name of yep. uh, Scott Dayton. Yes. Um, and 
you know, obviously the details of, of surrounding his death wasn't released. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, as an EOD tech, um, mm-hmm. you know, the job itself is highly dangerous. And, you know, just, just in training, like, you know, if a bomb is, oh, there's, you know, someone finds an IED or, you know, some some kind of munition, everyone backs up and your job is to go in and, and try and render that safe. Uh, what what is that like uh, for you guys? Uh, I mean, that's what we train to do. It's what you want to do, I think most of us. Uh, but I mean, the situations there, it's all such gray area. I mean, there's so many things that you, you train with, and you know, um, a little variable here or a little variable there, and it's, it, the, the situation has changed, and 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 your personality comes into it. Um, each EOD tech is going to have a different personality. They're going to have things that like their go-to skills or, you know what I mean? Like any human being, you're going to have those, those skills, um, and those differences and, and approaches. So it's, it's so hard to, to know how you're going to react until it just kind of happens. Right. You know, that's what I try to tell the guys. And it's so difficult. We drill and we drill and we drill and, you know, I try to tell them it's, you know, it's very, you, you really don't, it's so hard to, to, to simulate those things or simulate like, you know, how, how are you going to react when, when someone steps on an IED and, and, you know, you have to go get them. You know, what are you going to do and all this stuff? So, right. Uh, yeah, it's tricky. Cause it's, I, I guess it's different from like a firefight because in the firefight, you know, you, you're able to fire your weapon um, and, you know, mm-hmm. you use all your training and skills to maneuver and, and try and make right. it do that. But you know, when you're dealing with a, an IED on the side of the road, it's like completely different because, you know, maybe someone's watching from afar and, you know, they press the button. Uh, right. it's, it's out of your control, you know? Um, right. So now, like, I know it, there was, I, I know you didn't go to Iraq, but there was a point in Iraq um, where the Iranians got involved and, and they were um, helping either helping build it or they were, they were putting together these uh, IEDs themselves and they were really uh, damaging coalition forces. I, I believe it was mostly seen in, in Southern Iraq. Um, now for, so you say like the, the EOD community kind of, and mission kind of changed, you know, obviously as the wars went on. Sure. Is there, in your opinion, in terms of like, uh, you know, armored vehicles and stuff like that, is there like a hundred percent? Because, like, like let's say an ODA, right? They'll, they'll go right. out in their vehicles. Um, mm-hmm. Some vehicles aren't very armored. Some are. Right. And this is something I've always wondered. Wouldn't it make sense to just have all these vehicles armored? Like, is there a reason why that isn't uh, kind of done on a grand, more grand scale? Or maybe it is. I'm not sure. I mean, I don't know. That's like probably way higher ups. But I mean, there's obviously always advantages to different things there's maneuverability you know how you know if we need to get off road what are we going to use you know can we can you get a jerv no you can't drive jervs aren't even weren't even you know in my opinion really made for afghanistan you know we drive those around i mean they had a very hard time you know getting anywhere off any road so there were you know there are pros and cons to everything and there's risk to everything you know to any kind of vehicle so um, you just weigh, I think those guys, whoever we're enabling, whatever unit we're with, they're going to weigh those pros and cons and they're going to make their decision. And it's our job to 
you know, make our recommendations from an EOD perspective and uh, or an IED threat perspective and give those recommendations and they can take them or leave them. And, you know, we just got to make sure that we do our best to keep them safe. I worked in, you know, I've worked out of a gerb. I've worked on, you know, ATVs and, you know, a lot of time, a lot of my missions were helo inserts and walking around. So the majority of my time in Afghanistan was walking around. <laughs> Okay, so not so much as like driving up and down the roads in a Humvee or something like that. No, most of mine were in Hilo. Most of them, you know, two out of my three deployments, the majority of them were, were Hilo missions. So I, I guess that's safer in, in terms of, you know, the uh, the IED threat itself. Um, no, no, I mean, not when you're landing. And I mean, if you're going to infill through Panjway and Kandahar and you're walking around Panjway, then, you know, it's. You, you've got to definitely have your 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 head on right, and, you know, your mission planning right, and um, you know, Helmand and and Kandahar. It was and especially you know the Horn and Panjway. It was it was like the NFL of IEDs. You know, that's how I that's how I looked at it. I was like, man, you would not want to. I would not want to go anywhere else. This is great. <laughs> um, um, yeah, the the uh, yeah. the Army EOD tech who I had on, he yeah, he was in Panjway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah we talked about that. Yeah, yeah and I know. Um, I've also had on uh, retired Special Forces Major Rusty Bradley. I'm not sure you're familiar with him. No. Um, so he, he spent a lot of time in that area, and mm-hmm. he wrote a pretty good book uh, about one of his deployments there. And, um, you know, they he kind of shined some light on, on, like, how it worked in terms of fighters kind of uh, traveling through that area and everything like that. And Hey, Damien, so... Can you, uh, would you be able to share a story maybe of a deployment or something uh, with the audience just to kind of give them a, a a bit of an insight to what it's like in, in your world? Yeah, sure. Um, man. I'll go back to my first deployment because I made a lot of mistakes on that one. So that was a uh, bad deployment. I was um, taught, taught a lot, taught me a lot at least. So uh, we were there. We were uh, my platoon was supporting SOTIF South, so they were supporting third group uh, was the SOTIF, and it was third group and seventh group that were third special third special forces and seventh special forces group that was down there. We, uh, I was with a, a an ODA from seventh group, and we were doing basically clearing Panjway, doing village clearances in, in Panjway at the time. So we were infilling on helos, kind of clearing villages for. Uh, um, for VSOs that came later, I'm sure you know what those are. You've heard about those. Yeah. Uh, so we we were we were infilling at night, and we had gotten our target building, and, and we had done a breach that didn't really work. I had set a, a wall breach that that wasn't really successful, and, and you know at that point you're in a rush. So, uh, so uh, at that time, so the Afghans we had some engineers, and they were kind of like. Uh, the Afghan commando, we were a commando unit with engineers and they were kind of the guys that were you know, like, like little EOD techs, you know, like we worked with them on, on, on IEDs and stuff like that. So uh, it was only my second mission with them. And they said that the, Af- the commandos said they wanted to go through the doorway. And, and, I, and I said, okay, can we, you know, it wasn't my favorite thing, but I said, okay. And they cleared the doorway and I went up and I kneeled, I knelt on, on in front of the doorway and I 
was making sure there weren't IEDs. I was like doing a secondary clearance of it. And the ground was very hard. I didn't see any, like any sign of an ID, uh, in that, in that, in that spot. So we made entry and after we made entry, there was an explosion in that doorway and the last two Afghans that had come through had, had blown up, had, had initiated an ID. And, uh, in that kind of chaos, you know, he was brought inside, um, he, was a, he had lost three limbs, one of the Afghans, and the other one was uh, had some blast injuries. So we had to medevac him and, and uh, treat his injuries and try to get him out of there. And now, uh, so the medevac bird is called in, and the bird comes in, and there's another IED goes off underneath that helo as it's flying in somehow. Mm-hmm. Either, either the rotor wash hit a trip line. Um, I believe at that time, another member of one of the other elements, uh, one of the ODA guys had tripped a trip line, but it had not initiated. It hadn't gone off. The charge hadn't blown off. So um, it was pretty chaotic at that time. Uh, there was not much movement as far as I, I know. I only remember pieces of this kind of, I don't remember the whole thing uh, super well, but uh we were able to somehow get a hoist dropped into our compound and we tried to get that Afghan out in time, but he didn't, he didn't make it. So, um, we, we did our finish the mission. Um, and, and we, uh, had to bring the body out, uh, when we exfilled and, um, in the at, come daybreak, uh, we had all collapsed down and, and, and I went uh, and did a post, like a post blast analysis of that IED strike. And that blast seat was right where I was kneeling. Wow. So I didn't know how I didn't function it or I have no idea how I did not function that. Um, none of us tripped it, but, uh, it taught me a lot. You know, um, it was a huge mistake. I felt, you know, on my part, obviously I was, I was very new as a Neo tech still. I had never been to war and that was like my sixth week there, I think. And, um, I mean, I saw it as a mistake and, and, and it changed a lot of things happened on that mission that changed how I, how I did my job in the future. You know, I never would, I never wanted any, any Afghan in front of me ever again, like, not offense to them, but I felt that I owed it to them to go in front most, you know, as much as I could for that reason, you know, cause, um, yeah, I just, you know, it didn't seem, seem right all the time. So yeah, it was, it was, it was, a, <laughs> it's one that I use when I'm, when I'm teaching a lot and it's a mission that I've, I've, I've gone over, you know, lots of times in my head and how I could have done that differently. How could I have found that? Um, lots of things. I mean, there's lots of tactical things that you could have done different, but, I didn't really know enough. And, I, and had I been the EOD tech I was on my third deployment, it would, I think it would have gone much differently, but, uh, it taught me a lot and, you know, it happened early on. And, um, I mean, that's Panjway, you know, <laughs> that was, uh, not uncommon in that, in that, in that area. Right. Well, you know, what's, and it's, it's almost weird to say this, like to say what's good about something like that, but mm-hmm. obviously, 
um, you know, when we make mistakes in, in life anywhere, you know, the, yeah, yeah. the best thing you can do is to learn from them, especially in a job like that, you know, and um, mm -hmm. what I think is benefit, obviously there's benefits to war in, in terms of uh, learning and, and uh, the experiences you go through. Like you said, on your third rotation, things probably would have gone differently in that situation. Oh, um, yeah. And and on one of the benefits of it is now the guys that you're teaching now they can soak that up and and uh, potentially uh, avoid a potential mistake because they had you there to teach them like hey look this happened and you know m maybe this is the best way to go about it or that's the best way you know um, right so uh, you know obviously it, it you know to say that there's good things coming out of war mm -hmm. it, to some people it probably doesn't sit too well. But, um, you know, kind of crazy to say it, but at the end of the day, that is the reality, you know, and right. unfortunately, some of those lessons learned are learned in blood, you know, so absolutely, uh, it sucks for the guys who have to uh, lose their life or lose some limbs. And I know uh, blast wounds are, are pretty serious, you know, mm -hmm. um, they're but, crazy. Yeah. And, and do you guys do you guys go through like medical training, like bleeding control and stuff like that? Yeah, we go through all that. Mm -hmm. So it's it's interesting, I think. Um, but until you see it, you know, until you see that, what? Because every idea, you know, how it's initiated, how you know, was the did the guy kneel on it? I had someone kneel on one on my last deployment. Um, you know, that was my second IED strike in the first six weeks. Um, so they're all different, you know, and, and to see what that does to someone's body, it's crazy. Yeah. It just destroys. It's people. Crazy. And oh, it just like it obliterates. Like, but yeah, it's weird. It's like weird to put tourniquets on nothing on, you know, right. there's nothing, there's nothing there. <laughs> uh, so it teaches, yeah, you learn, you learn, you learn quick. And the more, I hate to say this, but, um, you know, the more situations you're in like that, that the, the, you know, sadly, the better you get at dealing with it. Right, right. Mm -hmm. And I know in this global war on terror, since you know, since it's begun, uh, more guys are surviving battlefield wounds. So there are, more, right. you know, more guys who are missing two legs or missing one leg and an arm. Yeah. And, um, it's unfortunate, but there's, there's a mission that has to get done. You know, so. Oh yeah, I have a couple of good guys from my unit. That um, one was a triple amputee. Um, and one was a double amputee from my last, he was on my last platoon and, uh, they're amazing guys. Like they're real role models. I mean, you know, they're really people to look up to, you know, and, uh, the, the 20, you know, 20 something surgeries, you know what I mean? Just to, and, you know, and they're doing well. So it's, those people are, are, are huge motivations. Yeah. I, I know a couple of guys. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Similar, you know, situations and, one guy I know is uh, his name is Jared Bullock. He's a former special forces guy, and he he was riding in a Humvee, if I'm not mistaken. I had him on the podcast, but like early in the podcast, so uh, you know he lost uh, arm and a leg, and he's really one of the most positive uh, guys I know. You know, and it's it's really inspiring yeah. to see it uh, because you know people get down on themselves, so you know whatever you know life happens, right? But then. You go on Instagram and you check out Jared's profile and you're just like, like, mm -hmm. what the fuck am I complaining about? Right. 
So yeah, it's all good stuff. So yeah, sure. So like when you guys, so like you said, you, you went back and kind of did a blast analysis. Mm-hmm. When when you're going through that process, mm-hmm. can you like learn or have an idea of how things were put together from that? Like, how does that work? Yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of things. You're just basically like a, you know, you're like a, det- you're just basically a, what I would assume like a detective would be on a, or any kind of, you know, person would be on a, on a crime scene and you're just trying to get whatever you can out of there. Um, you know, and they're all different. So you're going to get some things from some and you won't get other things, you know, from others. I was just like, holy shit. <laughs> I, got, right. I was kneeling right there. That's crazy. Yeah. So what what was it? Was it like a was there a tripwire or how, how was that specific? Um... Um, it, it was actually hard to know uh, what it was. Um, I, I think it was deemed, if I remember right, to be like a pressure plate. So, oh, there was no, there was really there was really no. There wasn't a whole lot of evidence to to collect on that one. All right. Well, I guess that would be kind of difficult, right? After the fact. Well, sometimes, I mean, they, they'll leave stuff behind, you know, if it, if it, if it doesn't blow all the way or if it's, if it's, you know, if the homemade explosive is, isn't made well and, you know, you'll have more evidence left over maybe, but uh, that one was a big one and it went. Yeah. yeah. So on the podcast I had a, for a previous episode, I had a, a British uh, paratrooper um, mm-hmm. by the name of Stu Pearson and he um he was in southern Afghanistan. Uh, they were, I believe, on Overwatch for this this dam that was being put together called the Kajaki mm-hmm. Dam. And, yep. And he he didn't step on an ID initially. One of the other guys did, and his his unit. And you know, it turns out they were in what they call a legacy minefield, like yep. mines that were left behind by the Russians. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was really kind of a horrible situation because all these guys are like, you know, they're trying to help get this one guy out. Another guy steps on an IED. They, right. You know, they're probing. You know, there's like techniques from right. moving through. And yep. um, he stepped on one and then a, a medevac bird came in and from the downdraft, it set off another one. Like it was just a really bad situation. Um, oh yeah, uh, yeah. That's what happened. Yeah, with us, like the, that the rotor bla- the rotor wash uh, pressure had set off um, another trip line. So right. So I guess in that situation, the 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 way to do it would be to stay a certain uh, height out and and drop. Uh, I guess they call it a wench, or, or that's what he was calling it. That's maybe that's what the Brits call it. Yeah, you know. So we do like a hoist. Holy and just like when you just like, yeah, like when you see the, the, the at sea rescues or, you know, all that stuff. Um, and with that, 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 that has its own, you know, issues that you have to deal with with that as well. Um, but yeah, there really wasn't much they could have done. I mean, you know, as far as flying higher, lower, you know, how tight are those trip lines? You know what I mean? Like the things in Afghanistan, they were so rudimentary. They just worked. Right, like like really basic but effective. Super, ba- yeah, super basic, but it worked. So now, uh, now at the point where you're at in your career, now you're mm-hmm. you're an instructor at the school. No, I'm an instructor. We have like an evaluation unit, so I'm I'm finishing up my time there. Okay, and are, are you going to do your twenty, or are you getting out before then? Uh, I don't know yet. I'm unsure. Hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm not sure yet. Um. Yeah, so it's it's uh yeah it's like a it's a kind of like a tricky time deciding what to do next. Right. Yeah. 
Right. Well, you know, I guess also with the, um, you know, the transition that's taking place in the White House and, mm-hmm. um, you know, policy will, might change or I'm sure it will mm-hmm. actually uh, in terms of, you know, how we're going to move forward with this, um, you know, ISIS situation and, and Syria, you know. Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, policy, those are I'm sure they're going to change in some way. Everyone likes to, well, you know, kind of put their spin on things or uh, the new um the new president, the president-elect, will, will have his 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 uh, his cabinet, and, and they'll do their thing. Right. So, so Damien, I know you know spending the amount of time that you've been in um, mm-hmm. EOD. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like you said, you had some guys who were who lost legs and limbs, and I'm yeah. sure you've you've lost uh, some of your brothers in um, in combat. Is there is anyone you wanted to talk about? Um, mm-hmm. Kind of like give a tribute. There's a lot. Uh, yeah, it's tough. Um, yeah, I mean, we just lost uh, Jason Finan in October from um, my unit, my last my mobile unit three. So uh, that hit everybody very hard. Uh, he was definitely, in my opinion, the best. I mean, EOD Tech guy had ever been, you know, I've been around, he graduated OG school a little bit ahead of me and then went to mobile unit three. Uh, I went there later and he was, um, you know, I can't think of anyone more highly regarded uh, than him in our field and, and just a good man. You know, uh, we, he just came through training, uh, recently before he deployed and we were talking and, I uh, had an incredible amount of respect for him. I, I, you know, I could, I cannot say enough good things about him. He's a great, just human being, you know? nice. way better EOD tech than me. And, uh, and I remember telling the guys in my division, Hey, before he came through with this platoon, I said, you're going to, he's going to come through and you'll, when he finishes, you'll say that was the best EOD tech that ever came through. And they all agreed. Wow. So it was a huge loss. Uh, they're all like, huge, but uh, I remember getting the phone call and I just could not. You know, we're still reeling it from that, from all of them. But um, yeah, and there was a big one. Um, so on in January, January second, two thousand twelve, we lost Chad Reglan, and he was on my first platoon uh, to Afghanistan together. He had been to Iraq, and then we went to Afghanistan together and. August of 2010, he had come, we'd come home from that one. And then he had volunteered to go right back. So he was with, um, an ODA from fifth group in Helmand and he was killed in January 2nd, 2012. And that still is very hard. And, um, you know, he was just such a good kid. He's, it's really hard. He was to me, he's so young. And he was just a great kid and, and like had a real everything with these guys, like the, the, the you know, the through line is, is kind of the same. It sounds redundant, but, you know, he was extremely humble. You know, they were aggressive without being reckless and they did the job like for the right reasons. You know, they were the first ones to volunteer to go. You know, um, even JJ came off shorty to be early to take the team he was just on. You know, and they don't have to do that. And I understand, like, most people, nobody has to do anything. But in our field, you know, at that unit, it was like when someone, when something went down, when there was an opening, 
then who was the first person to run up to that office and say, send me now? You wanted to be that person. Right. And those were the two guys, those, those two guys were, you know, were ones that everyone wanted on the team. And then, um, I mean, uh, you know, we lost Lieutenant Moscow in 2012, um, as well. And, uh, Sean Carson later on in 2012 uh, from Molina three. And, uh, you know, as I mean, I could, I could go on. I mean, uh, on my last deployment, we lost our tacky W. So it was Christian Pike. He was, um, attached to the SEAL team as well. He was, um, he, he was a CTT. Mm-hmm. He was killed in a firefight that we were in. Um, and he was, <laughs> he was like, you know, I am not like a friendly person on deployment. I'm not like, I don't laugh a lot or, <laughs> you know, but he's, uh, and he was always like the opposite. Like he loved his job. And, and it's like all, always, the, it's always like the best people. It's just like we lose the best people. You know, Mark Forrester was a CCT that I worked with for a, a, just a few, a really short time on, on the beginning in 2012. He was a CCT. Um, yeah. and he was killed. Yeah. A couple, I, I read about you know? him. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He was at, I was originally at, at, at FOB Cobra and Aruzgan before I went to do the commando mission. And, um, he actually, like my first IED strike, he was the one that ran over, ran, tried to sprint to the guy before I could even get there. Um, on that same day, um, another EOD tech, uh, um, from our unit that was on that, the ODA captain had initiated an IED and lost his legs and he had gone to clear him. Um, saved his life so or helped uh, assisted in saving his life and then um calvin harrison that same day mark was killed calvin was an 18 delta with that oda 7212 oh and, he, he um, was he was killed in the same situation the same the yeah. same fight the same gunfight yeah yeah and uh he was an he was awesome he like you know again i was only at that site for about a month and a half but uh, those guys, you know, they were great. Um, Pat Feeks was a SEAL. He was killed. The same um, helicopter that Sean Carson was shot down on, Pat Feeks was on. I worked on a few missions, you know, with him up in northern Afghanistan earlier that year. He was a SEAL um, the same time that Dave Warson was killed. I mean, you, you cross paths with a lot of these people, um, you know, you – or you shake hands with them before missions and then you move on other sites. And, um, it's just, it's, it's funny. I think they were all great people, you know, like much better than me and my job. They were all much better than I was. I don't even know being, I mean, you, you know, you come home and it's just, you realize you're just lucky to be home. You know, it's, it's crazy because, you know, like, like you said, you know, you, you went through that, that spot right where the, the IED was. And yeah. Mm-hmm. The guy behind you walks through and it goes off, you know, it's like, yep. it, it's, it's so crazy how that works, you know? And yeah, um, it's nuts. You could be standing in a spot, you move, the next guy comes right in and he gets shot, you know, and he gets killed. It's yeah. Just, it's, yeah. It's just, you know, just man, like bullets do weird things. You know, they, they fly in weird directions and bounce off shit and, you know, and, and IEDs, you know, don't go off sometimes and, you know, you're lucky, but, uh, yeah. And, um, I think we always try to honor them 
you know, um, luckily like Chad's family was really gracious and allowed me to make some memorial t-shirts for him. Oh, nice. Uh, and, uh, so I'd done that, made some coins for him, for, for them. And, uh, he just came, you know, just these people's families, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know how you could ever get over this, you know, so losing your, your, your family members. So, right. um, we just really do everything for them to honor them. Everything that, you know, it's, right. it's really to honor the guys that we lost. Well, you know, it's interesting. Like, um, you know, when you lose somebody, you, at least for me, you know, in my experiences, you, you know, you lose somebody and I feel like you have to, you know, like, like I use that as my motivation, you know, like to, you know, to work hard every day and, and try and do my best, you know, and, and, and oh, yeah. honor the memory of, you know, people that I lost, you know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. To like, it's almost like there's pressure to like, I need to do something good with my life. <laughs> right. Like, like they're watching, you, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it was, I don't, I don't really believe in any of this, but so I, the t-shirts that I made for just another little anecdote, like a t-shirts that I, I had with Chad on the back of them, I wore it on every mission on my third deployment. And, um, it was funny cause I was back living in the same room that he lived in on our first deployment. So it was kind of odd how it like had come full circle. And, uh, the one, the one mission that I did not wear his t-shirt was when the Afghan stepped on the ID wow. on the last deployment. And so I remember we got home and I looked up and I said, okay, man, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> I wear your shirt, bro. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, everything, you know, was an honor. It was to honor at that point it was to honor, you know, those guys that, that we lost up to that point. Right. And, and so now like, you know, switching back over to like the actual job itself, uh, you know, obviously for any, any unit, uh, special ops or infantry, you know, guys like we were talking about before you learn these hard lessons through, uh, in blood, right. Um, right. You know, do things this way, enter the room this way. Right. Has there been improvements in that area for EOD as a whole from the beginning of the GWAT to where we're at now? Oh, absolutely. I think every, I think things have changed immensely. And, and, uh, we, you know, there's been some incredible people that I've been able to learn, you know, from, um, guys that have done, you know, massive amounts of IDs that I could never do. So, uh, and deployments and, and all that. So, um, we've been lucky, I think, to have some people that are very open-minded, um, flexible, you know, um, in, in learning new, new tactics to, to kind of get us home and get the guys home. And because if you don't stay flexible in this, I mean, things change all the time. Every deploy, you know, this man, every three months things change or, you know, if I went back three months after I came home, I treated it as like a whole new war, not like I knew what was going to be going on. Right. You know, cause it, it's, everything's changing so fast. And, and, uh, um, you know, it's just a matter of time. You know, it was just, it felt like a matter of time before you were going to get bit, you know, by an IED at some point, you know, but, um, yeah, we're always, always trying to push, you know, the limits and, and find new ways to do things. You know, my whole thing is, I, I think your mind is always the, the best, you know, not to be hokey, but I think it's better than any robot or any tool or metal detector. Right. You know, like you're, you're, you know, you're, uh, that like battlefield IQ or this is important. 
Right. Absolutely. And, and that, you know, that, that could, uh, transition over into kind of anything in life, you know? Um, absolutely. Yeah. You know, it, it doesn't take much like, you know, th- there are certain things like it's just out of, con- out of your control, you know, you know, you're going in there with the, you know, the, the best military on the planet mm-hmm. you know, against guys who may not be able to read or write, but they can still affect the battlefield. Um, yeah. you know, cause we're all human. Like it, you know, you, you can be, you know, Navy SEAL, Green Beret, whatever you want, EOD yeah. tech, yep. but at the end of the day, we're still human, you know? So, yeah. Uh, you know, you're just, yeah, you're just flesh and blood, you know? Right. Like you, you can't, you know, you can't get hit by a fucking sniper rifle <laughs> and, and bounce off you, you know? So. Nope. Nope. Um, and I just want to say like, I, you know, um, but I mean, while I have a second, I just wanted to really like, just, uh, thank all that man. Cause you know, there's like all through Panjaway and all through Afghanistan and Helmand, there's Marines and like these like 11 Bravos. Yeah. Or all these infantry units, like walking around Panjaway every day for like a year. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's crazy. That's, cra- that's crazy. Yeah. And um, I don't ever really need to thank them, but um, and guys, you know, like I talk about this stuff and, and you know, what's your who is your brotherhood and all that stuff, and and that's my like who. Uh, it doesn't matter like what your job is. If you were walking around that country, you know, like. uh damn, you know, there's certain areas, you know, it does something to you. You know, it definitely, you have a new appreciation for things. Like I have, uh, I was, I'll never forget this. I was sitting in Chow Hall in, uh, in Kandahar and I have, um, I had like this really horrible tattoo on my hand of the MGRS. That's Panjway, like the first five of the MGRS. Hmm. And, uh, it's hard to read cause it's, it got all blown out and uh, <laughs> but I was sitting there eating and this guy walks up to me and this, this, this sergeant and this 11 Bravo guy. And he's like, Panjway, man. And I was like, and he's just like, that place is no joke. And I was like, no, I just shook my head. I didn't say anything, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and that's really kind of like that. You know what I mean? Like it's, that's the, those are the people that I feel like tied to, you know? Yeah, and you know, I'm I'm glad you said that because, you know, and and with the whole like, you know, online military community, um mm-hmm. and obviously with, with the uh the kind of spotlighting that soft units get, you know. Yeah, I, it's I think, crazy. You know, like people like overlook the infantry. They always do. They know? always yeah, and, and and I don't I'm not I'm not, you know, railing on uh media or oh well a little bit. Yeah. I am in the public, but it's like, you know, you can be obsessed with like growing a beard or not. Who cares? Right. <laughs> like, it doesn't mean anything. IEDs didn't care if I had facial hair near to the bullets. Right. And, and it's like, you know, it, it, it almost, it doesn't matter. Like, you know, you could be the highest tier, you know, self operator. Um, you know, you walk into an ambush, you're walking into an ambush, you know, it's the, yep. the same thing. So, um, you know, well, with any, uh, yeah, with anything, it's like, you know, um, and it was just one of those things Like we had like a, a, a step count, like a, you could only take a certain amount of, of steps and, um, and, and Panjway without stepping on something. And, really? Well, that's what it seemed like. Like you couldn't just walk around there. Like, you know, on the, 
like my last deployment, I was like, there's no way I'm making it out of here with my limbs. Right. I mean, and that's got to be crazy, like for for the mind, you know? Um, Yeah. (laughs) I'm sure it, I'm sure it it has, it it leaves its mark, you know, but um, yeah, I always try to thank those, you know, those guys, because I I do believe they get, you know, incredibly overlooked um, with the kind of focus on, 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 on soft stuff. And it's not like the special operations people's fault. I don't believe it's just, right, right. it's just the way it is with the movies, I think now and all the books and stuff like that. But I just like to thank those guys every like chance I get. Cause, um, you know, it sucked for them, you know, like it, it sucked. Yeah. And it's like typically like the soft rotations are shorter than, uh, uh the, um, the infantry. Yeah, some of them it seems like yeah. Yeah, our know. last one, our my last one was nine months with SEAL Team Five. But that that that's kind of long. And that was a long one. Yeah, yeah, I think it was like nine. It felt like nine. Maybe it was eight, but <laughs> I think it was nine. Well, I, I think the um, SEAL teams and the the ODAs deploy for a, a decent chunk in in comparison mm-hmm. to like some of the other soft units. Sure. Yeah. 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 They do generally similar rotations, you know, and. Um, and, and all the enablers, you know what I mean? Like the CCTs and, you know I mean? The TACPs and, you know, all those dudes, you know. Damn, I think the CCT on my, with the the first commando, I think that was his eighth deployment to Afghanistan. Wow. Something like that. Something insane. Like the Green Berets would come in, hey, how many deployments have you got? They're like seven. How many of you are like, oh, it's my first one? <laughs> you know? <laughs> you feel like an idiot. <laughs> They would ask me, so what do you think of, like, what are your, ta-? I was like, hey, man, you've made it through six deployments here. What are you doing to not hit an ID? <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah, it's funny. Yeah, so, um, okay, so now, you know, you're, you're doing your instructor time. Um, mm-hmm. You know, not sure how you're going to close it out, but. Right. You know, I, I just want to thank you for everything you've done, you know. Um, oh, thank you, yeah. You know, it's. My pleasure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, man. So you know, I just want to thank you for taking the time to come out on the podcast. You know, I think the audience oh, is going to appreciate it. Um, I don't think you know. I don't. I think I'm at 57 episodes in. Um, oh, right on, nice man. So, and and if you know, there's you know, there's other military podcasts. I don't think people get to hear from guys like you uh, too often. Yeah. Um, and and I know that. Lucky for them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know, like, uh, you know, there's obviously there's always like an element of people who kind of are against, um, you know, talking about any of this kind of stuff. And and I get it. But at the same time, you know, you know, the the benefit that, you know, the conversation we're having on a kid who's going to be the next, you know, superstar EOD tech, you know, there's no there's no way to to measure that, you know. And um you know, I, I know that people, you know, the younger generation, they listen, they, you know, they read as much as they can to try and soak all of it up before they go right. in, you know. So there's a huge benefit to doing this, in my opinion, obviously. So, cool. Um, you know, I just want to thank you again and, uh, you know, thank you for your service. Yeah, thank you, man. Thanks for letting me talk about the guys that, that we lost and uh, and um, and pay tribute to them. So I appreciate it. Yeah, you know, I, I always think that's incredibly important, uh, you know, for several reasons. But, you know, I, I'm sure that their families would appreciate it, you know. Thank you, man. All right, brother. Thanks, brother. With the terrorist groups, uh, various groups that are we're fighting against in you know Iraq, Afghanistan, and uh, elsewhere, 
you know, their their preferred method of inflicting damage on Western troops is through improvised explosive devices or IEDs. And since this is their most successful way of attacking Western forces, the role of EOD technicians from the Navy, from the Army, uh, and, you know, combat engineers as well, has never been uh, more important. And what these guys do is a very, very dangerous job. I mean, you know, if there's a unit out on patrol and, and they spot what they believe is an IED, everyone backs away. And and we're talking infantry fighting companies, special operations guys, uh, you know, war fighters, everyone backs away. And then the EOD tech comes in and, and they try and figure out uh, how can they render these munitions uh, safe. So it's a very dangerous job. They've made tremendous sacrifices uh, since the beginning of the global war on terror. And, uh, you know, we should honor and respect these men. And I'm glad that uh, Damien was open to talking about some of his fallen brothers and and some of the guys from the different uh, special operations communities that he's worked with who passed, as well as uh, some of the infantry guys and grunts from the Marine Corps you know, Army 11 Bravos, uh, guys who kind of tend to get overlooked uh, in today's kind of world where special operations forces are kind of the rock stars of, of the military. And, um, you know, I just think it's important that everyone gets their recognition, even though some people don't want it, you know. But, you know, I, I think he did an awesome job and I'm glad that he came on. And, you know, I, I really hope that, you know, everyone can... Uh, take away some of these lessons, especially the young men and women who are going to take that step and, and join the military and serve our, our country. So, uh, I mean, like I said, at the beginning of the podcast, uh, we're going to be getting, we're going to begin rolling out articles. Uh, the, the team of writers that have come together uh, to write for the website are very experienced individuals uh, from various backgrounds, special operations, infantry, uh, government. So I think you guys are going to enjoy some of the content that's coming. Um, when I first started the website, you know, way before the podcast, I was putting out a lot of articles, but I was doing it mainly by myself uh, with some contributions from some of my friends, like uh, two from Rona Tactics. And, um, you know, it, it it was fun for me, but it's been a long time since I had written anything, but I'm working on some interesting stuff now. And um yeah, so you know, we're we're right the holidays are right around the corner. Um I hope everyone has a safe and happy holidays. You know, for the people who are not surrounded by family. Um, I just want you guys to know if you listen to this that we care about you, we appreciate you. Um, for those of you who are overseas deployed, uh, taking the fight to our enemies, we appreciate you. We care about you. We, uh, we want you guys to come home safe. And, um, you know, with that, we'll close it out. Check out my website, www.globalrecon.net. My Facebook account is FB Recon. My Instagram account is IG Recon. The second account is Black Ops Matter. I'm on Twitter at IG Recon. 
I'm on LinkedIn. Just search Global Recon. As always, I encourage you to subscribe, download, share the episodes with your friends and family. Check us out. We're on SoundCloud as well. Just search Global Recon Podcast. Uh, that way, we'll be able to continue to bring you high-quality content. And I guarantee you guys are going to like what we got uh, cooking up for the new year. And uh, we'll see you guys in a couple of days with another episode. Peace.